Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. To actually get a human being on the stand explaining himself, that could mean a lot in a case like this. Welcome back to The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm your host, Kelly O'Grady from over at Fox Business. Week three is close to done in the former Crypto Kings court case, and I've got all the juicy details for you today. So let's get you up to speed. The prosecution is actually near finished with their case. They've just got a couple more witnesses, and then we hear from the defense, or maybe we don't. I will get to that quite soon in this episode. But all three star witnesses from the prosecution are done. Overall, it was pretty damning testimony. You heard lavish spending, allegedly using customer money, political donations to curry influence, and all three stories aligned that Sam directed them to commit those financial crimes. The defense, though, finally landed some blows. It was a particularly interesting moment uh, towards the end of Nishad Singh's testimony. So remember, he was the FTX director of engineering, a high school friend of SBF, part of that inner circle. Remember, he is cooperating in exchange for leniencies, pled guilty to fraud. At one point during testimony, he said he was sick to his stomach at how the company was run. The defense, though, teased out he still bought a $3 million plus dollar house with customer money after being so concerned. I mean, that's not necessarily how I act when I'm sick to my stomach, but I suppose some opt for retail therapy. Today, though, a little less dramatic, but definitely important. It was about establishing the digital paper trail. The prosecution called their expert witness in forensic accounting who laid out exactly how he was able to trace FTX customer funds being transferred and spent on all sorts of ways without their consent. Still no smoking gun that tied SBF to it all. So the defense draws near. The big question becomes, will SBF take the stand at his own trial? There's a lot of risk, a lot of reward, and undoubtedly a lot of entertainment for us all if that does happen. So here to break it all down is Kevin O'Brien. He's a former assistant U.S. attorney, now an expert in white-collar criminal defense as a partner at Ford O'Brien Landy LLP. Kevin, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, so I want to start here because I I was really surprised yesterday. There was a moment where the defense, uh, you know, they're talking with the prosecution and the judge at the end of the day, as they normally do. And they said that they are still deciding if they're even going to present a case. And so I just want to start by asking you, why wouldn't they? Why would the prosecution rest their case and the defense say, you know, we don't have anything to present. We'll go straight to closing arguments. Actually, it's fairly common to do that. Um, Usually in these white collar cases, the defense uh, builds its case on cross-examination of the government witnesses. That's That's a lot safer than sticking your own neck out and having it chopped off by a good cross-examination by a federal (laughs) prosecutor. 
Uh, here, uh, it's even more uh, unremarkable because they tried to proffer seven experts who were going to testify about some interesting things. And Judge Kaplan said, no, you can't call those seven witnesses. He gave them leave to resubmit applications for four of them. I don't know if they ever did that, but his initial response was, no, you can't call those experts. So the only other material witness in all probability would be Bankman Freed himself. And as you say, that's a very difficult decision. So let's get into that then. You know, there's an indication in a court filing recently that they are considering having him take the stand. And there's so many things to break down there. I mean, obviously, from from a, a storytelling perspective, I would love to hear him take the stand, hear his side of the story. So there, we certainly got a lot of that when he was talking to the media. But let's start with the risks. What could go wrong if he gets on the stand and you open up the opportunity for the prosecution to have a go at him? Well, there are two kinds of risks. The first is probably the, the largest, and that is unless you're a very skillful witness, and I don't think Mr. Bankman Freed is, you're going to be cross-examined on all the uh, bad stuff that came out through the other witnesses. And it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, for him to be able to come up with convincing explanations for all the major themes in the government's case so far. However, there may be a silver lining in this case because he's an unusual personality. He's very eccentric. We've heard about his meds. That could be brought out, too, uh, if he testifies. They can talk about his medical regimen. That would draw an objection but they would certainly want to be able to portray him as someone who needs help to function and may not be fully responsible for everything he's accused of doing here. That's a very subtle road to hoe because it's not strictly a defense. Not taking your meds is not a defense. But nevertheless, it could um, bear fruit for the defense if that message gets conveyed. But I think on the whole, it's a risky strategy for the reason I mentioned. The second thing is, and this is this is relevant, although maybe less so in this case, if he takes the stand and he's found guilty, that tells Judge Kaplan that he committed perjury oh. when he testified. And that fact can be used against him to enhance his sentence when that day comes. Now, the sentence most likely is going to be very, very high as it is because of the dollar values involved. But it would be enhanced significantly if the government could say, on top of everything else, this defendant committed perjury before your honor. You heard him testify for two days. Uh, the jury rejected it. It was untrue. That should be held against him. That's a drawback not to be underestimated for a criminal defendant. Well, that's an interesting nuance to tease out that I hadn't thought about, that you're in a situation almost where, okay, certainly you'd love no prison time if I'm putting myself in SBF shoes, but you also need to mitigate potential. I mean, he's facing 110 years. Uh, he's a young guy, though. You know, if he's able to get a yeah. lower sentence, uh, maybe he still has somewhat of a life to live after going out. But to your point, if he were to take the stand uh, and then when Judge Kaplan is thinking about sentencing, 
it's already very clear that Judge Kaplan is not SBF's number one fan. So you no. don't need to make things worse. And um, in a case like this, I have to think he's a pretty strict sentencer. By the way, he's not going to get 115 years or anything like that, because those are just the statutory maximums. But it would be well short of that, but still a very substantial sentence. 10, 15 years or more. If you added on top of that an enhancement for perjury, it's bad news for Mr. Bankman Freed. Well, and so then on the flip side, there have to be some benefits because from listening to the testimony thus far, there hasn't been that smoking gun, you know, that that screenshot that can tell the jury beyond a reasonable doubt with 100 percent certainty that he did it. You know, there's been no Sam Bankman-Fried told me in this text message to go steal customer funds. It's really been based on testimony of his inner circle. And the defense has reminded everyone over and over that these folks are cooperating uh, and hoping for a lesser sentence. And they even brought up um, at one point a 5K letter, which for listeners that aren't familiar When these individuals go to their sentencing hearing, the prosecution can send a letter to the judge that advises, you know, their testimony was very integral to our case or, you know, they they said something that we didn't expect them to and and things went awry. Um, So that's right. What what benefit could Sam get from taking the stand? Is it that he can kind of turn this all into a he said, they said kind of thing? Well, if he's on that terrain, he's he's going to lose because it's not he said versus he said. It's he, he, and she versus <laughs> Bankman Freed. There are three major players at the company who all testified against him at length. And as you said, their testimony interlocked, reinforced each other. That's a tough burden to overcome. I think the value of his co- of his testimony rather is a little bit different. I think it's he's going to be able to communicate things about himself that no other witness can convey. Mm. His feelings about certain things, how confused he may have been at certain moments, his lack of understanding, his inability to focus, which apparently can be quite severe. A whole host of things. Who knows? Emotional issues. There may may have been problems with um, Carolyn, uh, uh, the head of Alameda. Her last name escapes me. Ellison, right? Ellison. There may have been issues there that are that are relevant to his ability to focus and his state of mind generally. And he may come across as a sympathetic person. Uh, Never underestimate that. The jury really. They've been swimming in data and facts and flow charts <laughs> and email chains and technical information that very few people really understand. To actually get a human being on the stand explaining himself, that could mean a lot in a case like this. And remember, you only need one juror who hesitates who can't get over the reasonable doubt hurdle and refuses to convict, you need only one of those jurors to uh, cause a hung jury and the government has to start all over again 
if it goes again at all, which I'm sure it would. I'm but that's what they're aiming at. They're not aiming for 12 people to walk out of that uh, jury room and say, we're convinced he's innocent. They're looking for a handful of jurors who hesitate. Do we really want to send this nice, confused, befuddled kid to jail for 20 or 25 years? Uh, and that's the value of, of testimony that he could potentially give. But I think it's going to be very very difficult for him to pull that off. But at this point, why not? The case hasn't really gone that well, as you pointed out, and uh, he's got to take some chances. Well, so I'm glad that you brought up the emotional testimony part of it, because from sitting in the courtroom days on end here, I haven't found any of the cooperating witnesses um, really compelling in their delivery. You know, what they're saying is dramatic. Oh, he told me to, uh, you know, uh, donate all this money to these politicians through my name. And, oh, you know, he was obsessed with currying fame and influence and buying access to these celebrities. That's all very dramatic. But the actual delivery, that emotional part where uh, it, it pulls on the heartstrings of a juror. Yeah. That hasn't come through for me. And I, that's why I wanted to ask you, when you've seen defendants do this in the past, um, where they actually take the stand at their own trial, um, what's kind of, what's the success rate? Because I, I think of emotional testimony and I'm reminded of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Obviously very, very different uh, things that they were accused of, but it was that testimony, that that emotion that swayed the jury. You know what? It's a great example. His testimony was brilliant. It was a different kind of case, but you know, it wasn't a documents case. It wasn't a financial fraud case. It was a murder case. Right. Um, so the issues are a little bit different and more conducive to you know, an emotional storytelling approach, which he did in spades, but he pulled it off. He took over the courtroom for a couple of days. Well, right. Um, and have you ever seen this type of thing um, go in a white well? collar case? Yeah. Cause that, then on the flip side, I'm thinking of Elizabeth Holmes and that certainly yeah. didn't work uh, in, no, a, in a similar case. You're right. And she tried to pull some of the same tactics that, Bankman Freed might use. It didn't work for her. She was trying to say that, you know, her paramour at the time, Bolwani, uh, dominated her and right. she was under his thumb and she wasn't fully responsible. And it just didn't go over with the jury, especially after they heard from all these government witnesses saying when we had a conference, you know, a meeting in a conference room and the two of them walked in, he didn't say a word. He just looked at her while she talked. So they sort of built into their case, very clever by the government. Mm. They kind of built into their case this uh, inoculation against this claim that she was not fully responsible for what happened. And it didn't. And in fact, it didn't work. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. What about some of the other trials? Because I, I started to think about, okay, well, this one's happening now. There's another criminal trial that Sam Bankman-Fried uh, is expected to endure in March with a number of other charges that had been brought forth and had to be severed uh, from this trial. But he's also facing a number of civil trials with the SEC, with uh, class action lawsuits and the the barrier in a civil trial, correct me if I'm wrong, is much lower than beyond reasonable doubt. So is yes. there a, a worry for you that if he were to take the stand and, and let's say the Hail Mary works, right? And, and he's found innocent to your point. It only takes one juror to say, I'm just simply not sure. What could he have at risk if his testimony were then used in a trial with the SEC or with customers that are right. looking for restitution. Right. It's fully usable. You're right. And since it's coming out of his mouth, everything they use, you know, constitutes an admission on his part, which is going to be very hard to walk away from. But I have to think his lawyers are going to try to try to wrap this up in a package and pay a large sum of money to these major civil cases, including, I think the CFTC as a case True. as well. Right, yeah, and, as well, yeah. And the SEC. Just pay some amount of money, promise never go near the securities industry again and have nothing to do with uh, trading or exchanges or um, cryptocurrency and try to walk away that way, having paid a you know substantial fine. That's assuming he has money left. He may not. Uh, so that's going to be an artful negotiation by his attorneys, probably as difficult as trying a criminal case. I've I've been in both chairs, and that's how they'll they'll be dealt with. Of course, there'll be civil suits um, from all sorts of investors and lenders and banks, and you know they're going to have to find a way to wrap those up too. Um, he's going to receive subpoenas. Convicted or acquitted, he's going to receive subpoenas uh, every day for a number of years to testify and give evidence. And, uh, you know, how he deals with those, again, usually these private suits get wrapped up into one at one judge takes them. One judge in New York, if the cases are in New York, say in the Southern District, will oversee 10 or 12 or 15 of these cases and try to you know, do something as efficient as possible to wrap them up. No one really wants a trial. Um, he certainly doesn't. And these investors want money sooner rather than later. So usually they try to work it out on those terms. Hmm. You know, you mentioned a number of times uh, his medication that uh, could be used maybe to cast doubt on his mental fitness at the time? Was he able to focus? Was he able to make these decisions? So for, for context for listeners, there's been a question during this trial about 
his access to Adderall, which he takes for ADHD. And the right. concern is that, you know, he, he normally would take multiple doses of this medication every day because his dosage wears off uh, roughly three to four hours. So the defense has been arguing he gets it in the morning between 4 and 6 a.m. By the time he comes to court at 9.30, it's already worn off. So if he were to take the stand, uh, he would not have that medication in his system and he wouldn't be able to focus. Now, right now, there's a whole fight about how to actually fix this. I believe tomorrow he is going to be able to try a timed release of the medication that would would give him uh, the ability, hopefully, to focus for, let's say, a full 12 hours. Um, so he might be able to take the stand in that case and focus. Right. But right. there's something else here that I started to wonder, and, I, and I'm curious what your your take is on this. Could this all be a ploy to sort of tell the jury, well, you know, we weren't able to get his his medication figured out and he would have loved to testify, but he just wasn't able to. And could that also play into a potential appeal that he, you know, his uh, his Sixth Amendment rights, you know, the right to prepare uh, a defense that that might be violated and that might be brought up as grounds for an appeal? You know, Kelly, you're very good. You really went into the <laughs> wrong line of work because that is their ultimate aspiration. <laughs> There's they still want to time get I can whole, become a lawyer. <laughs> they want to get this whole issue in front of the jury. I mean, <laughs> if, if they did get it in, parenthetically, Kaplan would have a fit. Because, mm. again, it's not strictly a defense. You can't say, I didn't get my meds, and therefore I was justified in, in committing securities fraud. It doesn't work that way. That's not going to be any jury instruction at the end of the case. But they do want to they do want to get this issue somehow in front of the jury. And that's why they keep raising it with Kaplan. And the other day I noticed caught my eye. One of the defense lawyers, I think Mr. Cohen, said, my client is not able to meaningly participate yes. in his own defense at this trial because he doesn't have his medicine. And that phrase, meaningly participate, that's a constitutional type phrase that suggests he's at least thinking about a Sixth Amendment issue. He's entitled to meaningfully defend himself at trial under the Constitution. I don't think it gets to that point. I don't think it gets close to that point. I don't think he gets a jury charge on anything like that. But he's thinking along those lines. And as you say, anytime he can get this issue in front of the jury can only help Mr. Bankman Freed. And as I said, his own testimony, if he takes the stand, can be used to reinforce all these points. Mm. You know, I don't remember that transaction. I forgot my meds that day and I had to take a nap around three o'clock. You know, I mean, mm. I'm making this up. Sure, but, uh, sure. Yeah. I don't know, uh, you know, how that the Adderall situation works. But, but anything that brings before the jury the fact that he is impaired and is sometimes out of it, which often seems the case. His behavior can be very strange. And I don't think he's acting. He's genuinely an eccentric person, perhaps because he's so intelligent in abstract matters. He's not always there. He's not always focused. 
and this medicine issue just uh, reinforces the point. Well, so you bring up his his personality, um, which is is kind of something else I wanted to talk to you of how that that could play. I mean, we talked about the the power of an emotional defense, that human moment for the jury of you know being able to spin your own narrative of like I, I just didn't know, you know, I or I got over my skis. However, right. to your point, right. is is eccentric. You know, he's this this MIT grad. He's got the, you know, the wild hair that we've all seen, though we did get a haircut for court. Um, he has these two Stanford law professors. Uh, there were some very colorful direct messages that came out today using really? uh, words of F the regulators that he didn't realize he was uh, were going to be made public with the journalist. Um, so the jury also saw, you know, kind of a kind of a different side um, in Sam's own words, you know, screenshots than they had before. But is is there yeah, a, a concern for you that he just might not be able to um, to connect with the jury, that he could come off as unsympathetic, that you know, in, in all the media interviews that we've seen, um, sure, he was able to convince these storied investors and Tom Brady and Giselle. But when he sat in front of, of the media, I've noticed his eyes looking down, you know, his hands kind of ringing. There were little tells that that just kind of it was someone who was very uncomfortable rather than I, I maybe had empathy after watching. What's kind of, how does that play in your experience in these? Yeah, it's a real issue, but again, you can always flip it around. Someone who's eccentric. I mean, it is a long shot, but he's, he's only got a few straws left. Um, Yet probably hasn't done enough to earn a hung jury to date. So what is he going to have to do to, make that a possibility. One is to convey his no doubt real personality as someone who has trouble concentrating, doesn't focus, doesn't listen to people, doesn't wait before they finish their questions, uh, before he answers. And he has impulse control, as those text messages you mentioned seem to suggest. I mean, all these things are part of the mix. Hmm. Um, and yeah, they, they can turn people off, but they can also attract a certain kind of juror who maybe is a little eccentric himself or is, you know, suffered social ostracism over the years because he looks funny or wears his hair funny, anything like that. You're trying to, you're trying to strike a chord in one or two jurors, um, at a very human level. And it's important even in a white-collar case, uh, even in a case like this, which is um, incredibly complex and has high dollars, to put it mildly. The human element is still very important. And, you know, there may be other people they can call character witnesses. Of course, you know, you know they're overrated and sometimes subject to cross-examination. I, I don't think jurors pay much attention to them. They sort of discount, uh, you know, having your grandmother testify for you is (laughs) probably, that's probably an idle, you know, effort, but having the defendant testify is far and away the best way to convey those kinds of messages. Yeah. Well, Uh, apparently he's not going to have his experts, although maybe in some modified form, he'll be able to put those on, but 
but they're they're going to be on a very short leash because Kaplan's already said so. The basic problem there is they want to opine on what the law is. And the judge, Judge Kaplan, said, no, I'm the expert on the law. We don't let these witnesses tell the jury what the law is. That's my job. Right. right. So he rejected them first time around. Well, so that that brings me to my final question, because to your point, you know, the the most compelling person to tell Sam's side of the story is going to be Sam, because as you said earlier, he knows things and knows the intricacies in a way that no one else can. So if you're the defense counsel, what is your advisement at this point? Do you tell Sam, take the risk and testify or say your prayers and, and hope that the jury is not convinced based on what the prosecution has presented thus far? Well, I should be closer to the case than I am, since uh, you really have to have a granular understanding of what's gone down to date, and I don't. But I I think, on the whole, I think it makes sense for him to testify. Hmm. I think his manner and way of answering questions can disarm a lot of the cross-examination. And uh, as we've been saying, he can come across as kind of a, you know, a man-child or something like that. And... uh, Jurors go back and say, does this guy really deserve 25 years for what he's done? And I I think, you know, it's not that he's been picked on, but I think, you know, the appearance of a strict judge who's, you know, hammered the defense lawyers a lot and a client who doesn't seem to be all there, those kinds of things can generate sympathy to some degree Mm. in some quarters not every juror but some jurors i think it's probably his best uh, bet at this juncture although again i'm reluctant to opine since i don't have an informed opinion right well i'm certainly hoping that he does because that that makes this uh this whole saga even even more complete even more compelling and certainly uh, for all of us listening and watching at home, uh, more entertaining. Yeah, kind of wondering what Michael Lewis is thinking at this point. Oh gosh, well I'm I'm sure that whomever uh, is turning Lewis's book into uh, a TV show or a movie, and I'm I'm sure he he has bitters. They're hoping for Sam to testify at this point because wouldn't that be right? Uh, you know, there's the the moment that you all want to watch. Um, right, Kevin. Right. Thank you so much for for taking the time today. I really appreciate your insight. And uh, I think that point that you made about about this being, it could be a very human moment in a very complicated trial about numbers is important to remember. So I appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, that does it for us today. Thank you as always for listening. Remember to subscribe and tune in uh, to future episodes. We drop every Monday and Wednesday. We are getting closer to the moment when we find out, will Sam Bankman free testify? Fingers crossed on my end. Bye for now. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.